Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hello, everybody. We're here on a, a rainy day, uh, recording at the end of kind of a challenging week. A difficult week. <laughs> I got socked with some fever, chills, night sweats, nasty thing. Yeah. Wasn't COVID. I got tested for that. I don't know what it was, but oh. I've not slept well. And, it's hard uh, to suffer. It's it is hard. not fun. No. Being a human being is not fun sometimes. <laughs> if you're out there thinking, I'm not having fun being a human being right now, I can relate. <laughs> Yeah. Lordy have mercy. But here we are. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. If I feel, uh, if my uh, responses are not so sharp today, it's because I'm working on very little sleep. Oh, bless you, my love. Lord, yes. we just, in a special way, dedicate this podcast to those who are needing what we're going to share about and ask that your spirit, Lord, would flow through us Please, in, our, Lord. in our weakness here. Yes, and I that... give you my weakness, Lord. Let it be a channel of your strength. That's right. Let and, it be. And Lord, even the fact that we are not in top form could minister to someone who yeah. maybe thinks we're always in top form, <laughs> but we're not. Ooh, there's that crud. So you hear that crud in my <laughs> Goodness, it's a good thing you're not contagious over the podcast yes. waves. Shall I go on with a question from yes, a patron let's do now? It. Okay. This question is from a patron named James. And I'll just say to you that I I believe James does not live in the United States. He doesn't say where he lives, but mm -hmm. just from parts of the question, maybe that I already edited out, I just want you to know that. Okay. Uh, so James says, I'm a Catholic priest serving as a parochial vicar in a local parish and a vice rector in a diocesan seminary. My first encounter with Theology of the Body was three years ago reading Our Bodies Tell God's Story. Cool. It was a turning point in my life and in my vocation. Despite all the life in the church and formation I received, my true healing started with that book. Wow. And with the full dive into the beauty of the work that you two are doing that followed, I swallowed one book after another, followed every recommendation and link that you gave, and as much as time permitted, went after it all. Wow, Father James. Yeah. And he started with my book for Protestants. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. I kept it mostly for myself, with occasional references I made in my homilies or trying to help the youth that would come and ask questions. But then I was invited to give a talk to a group of teenagers on chastity and sexuality. Everything came out, a flood. I spoke for two hours. Kids were happy and seemed relieved as their struggles and sufferings were being put into some kind of meaningful wow. perspective. But youth ministers were moved even more, some of them crying and saying how they never heard it before, how their own youth and their marriages would have been different. Wow. Since then... I've given similar talks numerous times. So many have been helped, starting with me. A new desire is arising in my heart to go and study at the TOB Institute, but time and money are presently unsurpassable mountains. Therefore, if God wants it to happen, he'll have to move them. I'm burning with the desire to help, 
I need ideas, recommendations for us priests. Oh, especially for us priests. We need to change many things. Wow, Father James. I'm, I'm so moved, uh, encouraged, uh, blessed to hear how the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. It reminds me, Father James, of my own experience almost 30 years ago when I was reading John Paul II's teaching for the first time. Uh, and and for, for a time, I was just absorbing it myself. And then it started bubbling up and out of me and reaching other hearts. Uh, so I, I know that that mm-hmm. scenario that you are describing, I know it very well. And I also know that experience very well of seeing it reach other people's hearts and, and them being moved to tears, uh, them saying, why haven't we heard this before? If we had heard this earlier, our lives would have been so different. Our relationships would have been so different. So all that you're sharing is a very familiar experience. Mm. I would just say, Father, continue on the path that you're already on. Uh, bring it into your prayer. Bring it, make it part of your interior life. John Paul II, at the end of his Theology of the Body, says there are three indispensable and infallible means for living this. And what he then says, you, you might just think, well, that's just kind of bread and butter Catholicism, and it is, but with these glasses that he gives us, these TOB lenses, bread and butter Catholicism all of a sudden becomes alive in in new ways. So here it is. He says the three indispensable and infallible means for living this is, number one, a deepened life of prayer. But what does theology of the body help us understand here? Prayer, and here I'm quoting Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI says, when the Christian prays, he seeks nuptial union with the Lord. Prayer, this is also Pope Benedict XVI, is nothing other than becoming a longing for God, for union with God, what the mystics call nuptial union. So prayer is getting in touch with that deep longing of your heart, Father, Mm. for union with the Lord. That's what prayer is. Uh, Every day, allowing your life of prayer to become a deeper and deeper experience of, of that cry of your heart for union with love eternal, with beauty eternal, with goodness and truth eternal, for the true, the good, and the beautiful. And that longing is called eros. I'm sure you're, you're familiar with this because you're reading this stuff already. Uh, but, but please, please make, make that your prayer every day to get in touch with your desire and to open it to the Lord. The two other indispensable and infallible means for living this, frequent confession and frequent reception of the Eucharist. But again, what does theology of the body do in helping us enter into that more deeply? Confession, you might say, is where we get naked before the Lord, where we expose to Him the deepest and darkest realities of our, of our lives. Uh, if, if prayer is getting in touch with our desire for union, Confession is what prepares us for the union, and Eucharist is where we consummate that union. 
Uh, prayer, uh, if we understand that in nuptial terms, you know, that seeking of, of union with the Lord, confession in nuptial terms, uh, spouses know that to enter union, they have to get naked. That's what confession is. We're, we're getting naked. We're exposing ourselves, and we're letting ourselves be loved in our nakedness. That's what leads us into union. If you live that, Father, if you go deeper in prayer, in confession, and in saying the Mass, offering the Mass as a priest, uh, this theology of the body is going to flow out of you uh, to others in ways that will transform lives uh, in, in deep, powerful ways. Um, and I, I would encourage you, you said mountains have to be moved if you're to come study with us. Here's a little encouragement. I say this to anyone who's facing obstacles who, who wants to come study with us. Put that intention in Mary's womb. This is something I learned from John Paul II, who learned it from Louis de Montfort. The whole totus tuus, the uh, papal motto of John Paul II, totally yours, Mary. This refers to Louis de Montfort's idea that to be formed into other Christs, we need to place ourselves in a, a perfect mold of Christ, right? You can form a, a, an image of Christ with a, a chisel and a hammer, he uses this analogy, but one, one slight uh, in your stroke, uh, one mistake, and you're going to have a blemish in the, in the marble. Another way to form an image is to pour molten bronze into a perfect mold of Christ. If we do that, you'll, and if the mold is perfect, you'll have a perfect image. De Montfort goes on to say, the perfect mold of Christ is the womb of Mary. This is where Christ was formed. So we place ourselves, our lives, our hopes, our dreams, our intentions, our prayers, even our sinfulness, we place it all in the womb of Mary, and we allow Mary's womb to mold and shape and form us into other Christs. So place your heart, Father, place your priesthood, place this intention to come study with us, to, to be more deeply formed in this teaching, Place your whole life, totus tuus Maria, in Mary's womb. Let her mold you, let her shape you, and let her bring to birth this hope and intention to study with us. If it is, if it is the Lord's will, Mary will bring it to birth. Mm. Yeah, I'd just also encourage you to um, possibly form a study group with some of these other people in ministry that have been impacted by hearing what you've learned. Also at the seminary itself, if if they're you know if it's not being taught directly as a class subject, it certainly could be a study group topic there at the seminary with those priests in formation. And I I just have a sense that you're reaching out to connect with others, and I really am going to pray that some of those others are physically close to you right now. That through the ministry you've already you know entered into the TOV ministry that that already there are people you can point to in your life that want also want to journey deeper, that you can begin to do that together. And also many of the TUB Institute's classes are available online. So that gives a little more flexibility in the time to compete, 
complete the courses and takes away the cost of travel. So yeah. I think those are things to be aware of for any listener that's, you know, maybe feeling that there's so many obstacles that some of those obstacles can be lessened by those online courses that are when they're offered. Father James, we also have a generous scholarship program for our courses. Uh, and we have a, a preferential option for clergy when it comes to those scholarship funds. So if you are in need, please, please apply for our scholarship funding, and we will do all we can to make this a reality for you. God bless you, Father James. Please know you are in our prayers. A listener named Jordan asks this, I'm a Catholic, and my wife is Catholic. I'm open to life, but she wants me to use condoms. I feel that this may make me guilty of the sin of contraception. Can you confirm it would be sinful for me to do? I have let her know where I stand with it. There's so much more to tell, but I'm trying to keep it brief. Bless you, Jordan. Bless you, brother. This is a very painful predicament that you are in. I encourage you, if you haven't already, to read my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, uh, specifically the chapter on contraception. I do address this, your question, specifically in that chapter. And, and I'll just summarize here. You, you may not uh, use a condom. If, if you are using a condom, uh, then you are indeed now guilty of the sin If your wife, for example, were to be on the pill against your will, or if she were to insert a diaphragm or or get a tubal ligation against your will, uh, you are not sharing in that sin. Uh, That would be a sin that's squarely on her shoulders. But if she's asking you to wear a condom and, and you comply, then you are then you are also implicit in in the sin. You are committing the sin. So, my brother, uh, please know we are we are lifting you and your wife up. This is a very very difficult situation. Uh, I would encourage you to read Good News About Sex and Marriage together if she would be open. I don't know if you've been able to present to her any compelling arguments for the church's teaching. I'd also refer you to my YouTube series in which I I addressed all of the questions in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. So that entire chapter of questions on contraception, I address in video form on our YouTube channel. So we'll have the link in the show notes to the YouTube channel where you can learn more about that. Um, Wendy, do you want to add anything here? Yeah, uh, Jordan, I want to thank you for posing your question, and I understand the desire to kind of keep it focused. I, I want to say to you and to all our listeners that times when these intense questions come up and when there's disagreement between the spouses are painful experiences. It's it's very difficult to feel on any important topic, a lack of communion between the spouses. And certainly when it comes to your marital bond, your marital embrace, that is a very painful time to go through. But I really want to hold out hope to you that even as you have kind of narrowed down your question to this important topic, knowing the broader context of your relationship, 
that the Lord knows the broader context of your relationship even more clearly than you do. And I, I want you to know that this focusing in on trying to be faithful and choosing to be faithful to the most essential of questions, this moral teaching, can bear fruit in all kinds of ways in your relationship when you're open. The evil one is also after your relationship. It's clear, right? You know, just from the the struggle you're going through right now that there are forces against your marriage. And so I really want to encourage you to take our answer, which is clear about the moral question, to your prayer and ask the Lord to pour grace into your marriage and to protect you from the attacks of the evil one, even maybe to shine a light of insight into your heart, into how maybe you've not been fighting off the evil one adequately in your living of your faith, and the Lord wants to take you deeper um, in your own journey with Him through this crisis. So I I hope that, that all of that just encourages you. I speak, we speak from experience about that, that there are these difficult times that they can bear good fruit, and I want to encourage you and all our listeners in that. Thank you, Wendy, for speaking into that uh, with a, a sensitivity that is so important. Um, and I'm I'm feeling my my lack of sleep here is uh, playing its role in my uh, the kind of shortness of my answer. So thank you for <laughs> thank you for carrying that one. Love you answered the question that was asked, and that was really important. I'm proud yes. of you for that. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> There's more that needs to be said. Thank you that you are with me here. You know, it's a little sign of our marriage at work, right? There it is. There okay, it is. thanks, Lord. Thank we'll you, keep Lord. going here. This question is from a listener named Trinidad. Hello, Trinidad. Dear Christopher and Wendy, I'm so thankful to God that I, thousands of miles away in Chile, could find you on Spotify and listen to your podcast. I've been married to my beloved husband for 12 years now. And we have eight amazing children. Five are living with us. Three were miscarriages. My main motivation in life is to lead all my family heavenwards so we can rejoice all together one day and forever. We've practiced natural birth control since day one. And I'll just add here that in English, we usually call it natural family planning. She goes on. I'm 39, and I still have energy and long for more kids, but my husband says we're good. Considering that we have 12 more years of fertility, now we are for the first time struggling with the word control. In my prayer, I've been sensing this. Life itself is no matter of control of ours and never has been. Life is a miracle and a gift from God. In our marital embrace, we give ourselves to one another fully but only God has the power to create new life. I believe that now we're being asked to really trust in his loving plan for us and keep the worries away. My question is, do we actually have a responsibility to discern this? Why wouldn't we be able to love each other freely for the rest of our fertile years if God finally knows what's best for us and just asks us to place our confidence in his will? Ah, bless you, Trinidad. You're entering into the nitty-gritties of marital life and the relationship between the Lord and giver of life and a husband and a wife. Yeah. 
and the real responsibility that a husband and wife have to discern God's will for their lives. Uh, do you have a responsibility to discern here? Yes, yes, you do. This is part of what the church calls responsible parenthood. And by responsible parenthood, the church means a ready willingness as a married couple to seek the face of God and his will for your family. And it may or may not be, this is where the discernment comes in, it may or may not be that you have more children. There is an error that it sounds like you might be prone to, which some have termed providentialism. Of course, we are to trust in God's providence, but when you put an ism on there, providentialism, it's, uh, it's like putting God to the test. Uh, remember how one of the temptations of Jesus in the desert was when Satan says to Jesus, throw yourself off the temple and the Lord will save you. Your, your father will save you because it says in scripture that he won't let you dash your foot against a stone. And Christ's response is, thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. Part of God's providence for a husband and wife is knowledge of the cycles of fertility. And I don't know, I don't have a crystal ball here, and it's not my responsibility to discern for you and your husband God's will for your life. That's you and your husband's responsibility. But it might truly be God's will that you not have any more children. And your husband seems to think, think that is the case. So the two of you have some work to do together to seek the Lord's face, to seek it together. I find it interesting that you said natural birth control. You're right to say we, we, we are not in control here, but what we are called to is self-mastery. You said, can't my husband and I just continue to love one another freely or something like that? How did she mm -hmm. say that, Wendy? Yes. Uh, she said, why wouldn't we be able to love each other freely for the rest of our fertile years? Okay, pause right there. You are. And in fact, you're called to. And this is, this, is the, this is what responsible parenthood demands of us, to love one another freely. And love may demand that you freely abstain from the marital embrace. Every married couple knows that there are many, many, many occasions in married life where you might want to renew your wedding vows in the marital embrace. And if there are people new to our show who that's a, a new idea to you, that, that sexual intercourse is called the marital embrace because it's meant to be an expression and renewal of your marriage vows. So beautiful to enter into that, so rich to understand that that's what you're doing when you become one flesh. You're, you're recommitting with the language of your body. You are re-expressing those vows that you made at the altar. And every married couple knows that there are many occasions in married life when you might want to renew those wedding vows through intercourse. But love demands that you abstain. Maybe one of you is sick 
love demands that you abstain. Maybe it's after childbirth. Uh, love demands that you abstain. Uh, I often joke and I say, you know, maybe you're at the in-laws and there are thin walls. Love demands that you abstain. Or maybe you have a serious reason to avoid bringing another life into the world. Love demands that you abstain. So what we are called to here is mastery of our sexual instincts so that we can put them at the service of love. If it is God's will that you not bring any more children into the world, and that's where you have to discern, then love will demand that you abstain from the marital embrace during the fertile periods. And there is so much to be gained in, in acquiring that self-mastery that allows that kind of abstinence. In fact, so important is that self-mastery that I counsel couples, even if you do not have a reason to be avoiding conception, I still recommend that you work into your married life regular times of abstinence precisely to demonstrate that you have that self-mastery. Because here's the point. If we cannot say no to our sexual desires, then our yes is really compromised. Our yes is being drained of its meaning. If you can't say no, then your yes, what, what does your yes mean? The ability to say no demonstrates that when you're saying yes, it comes from freedom. And freedom is the prerequisite for authentic love. So Trinidad, I see you kind of standing at a, a threshold into a, a new dimension of intimacy and love and freedom in your relationship that presents various challenges including discerning God's will for the number of children you're called to have. Uh, this is an invitation to a new freedom, a new level of love, a new level of intimacy and closeness. And again, even if you discern that you would be called to have more children, I still invite you to embrace times of abstinence in your marriage precisely to be demonstrating that self-mastery. Wendy, what are your thoughts here? I actually remember, I think it's in Familiaris Consortio, another um, letter or document from Pope John Paul II, where he specifically talks about the benefits to a married couple yes. from uh, from using a natural family planning and abstaining at times uh, in their marriage, that it's a true benefit in itself, just as you're talking yes. about. So. All of that, you know, I hope is encouraging to hear about and to consider. And I I know, Trinidad, that you're not alone in having that kind of feeling of this would be the, the noblest path or something um, to never abstain to avoid pregnancy, that somehow it expresses the highest degree of uh, surrender to God's will. And it it's it's important to take in what the church really teaches about this, that um, we are co-creators with the Lord, and we do have to 
you know, choose responsibly in our participation in that. For us, um, in our relationship early on in our marriage, we did use um, our knowledge of our cycles to abstain to avoid pregnancy because Christopher was in graduate school. And um, so we didn't feel ready to provide for a baby yet. And I remember, Christopher, you would pray at times, um, Lord, if it is your will, let there be new life. And the first time, few times I heard you pray that, it actually caused me some anxiety because I thought, oh no, you know, we're not ready. We're not ready. <laughs> and there was a beautiful acknowledgement of we're doing our part by understanding our cycle and um, choosing our timing of our lovemaking in accordance with our cycle, but also acknowledging God is God. And, and our act was not close to his action. And so that was something I grew through that prayer. And then mm -hmm. later in our marriage, when there were times when we really desired a baby and didn't conceive, because that's also a reality. Yeah, that went on for a long time. We for have, us. Had, had periods of that. And again, that prayer, Lord, if it is your will, let there be new life had deep meaning on the other side. Yes, yes. And so I want to encourage you that there's something very meaningful about acknowledging the Lord is in control, but it doesn't have to be separated from a marital, marital discernment That's about right. what is most loving in our relationship. And so for us, for example, we've had a longer period of time now of sensing that we're called to avoid pregnancy and applying our knowledge of our cycles, of my cycles, um, in our marital relationship. And, and it can, has been tempting at times to think, you know, this is kind of complicated and how, you know, we're getting older. Do we even need to be careful about this? And yet our sense up to this point anyway has just been that it, it's the loving thing for us to do. And that deeper reason for it all, that love that causes you to face something difficult and to find it in it, to find it meaningful because it's motivated by love has been just a source of strength for us in our marriage. So I hold that out to you with your sense of, oh, we have all these years ahead of us. I want to just encourage you that it, it can be strengthening and grace-filled also. Amen. And I think the key there that you shared, Wendy, is that love is the motivator. When love is the motivator for abstaining, you are loving one another freely. So the question becomes, what is love calling us to in this circumstance now, today, tonight even? <laughs> what is love calling us to? Uh, there is no obstacle in our way ever, insurmountable obstacle to choosing the path of real love. Uh, that, that's, I just want to say that again, because that's important. There is never an insurmountable obstacle in our way to choosing the path of real love. Wow, that's encouraging. That's exciting. Lord, give us the grace to discern in each moment of our lives what is love calling us to in this circumstance. That is a powerful thing for us to reflect on each one of us, where we are today in our lives, that there's no insurmountable obstacle to love. So, Lord, I ask your grace on us, on our listeners, 
to be poured out that we would recognize how you're calling us to love in our lives. Thank you that you have created each one of us to be a gift. And may we all become what we are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.